Hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, Mike Yanovich, Deputy Building Commissioner in the town of Brookline. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is a podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. So today's show was recorded quite a while ago. And originally when I started out this podcast, I had this grand idea that podcast is recorded in my house. When someone comes to your house, you should offer them something to drink. And I would always offer either water, coffee, or wine. And that was going to be a little intro thing and see what guests choose what. Would they take water, coffee, or wine? Um, So there's been a couple that I did with that intro, but I just cut it, right? This one, Mike chose wine. Uh, So when you're listening, you're going to hear a bit of us drinking. We're going to talk about zoning, some code changes, 40B, if you don't know what 40B is. Also, what's kind of happening in Brookline. Um, There's quite a bit going on there, what neighborhoods are, what areas are up and coming, uh, what new projects are up and coming. All around, it's a good show. We talk code and have some building inspectors' stories. So that's about it. Enjoy the show. How'd you get into this? How'd you get into the business, period? And then how'd we end up becoming a building inspector? Yeah, so, um, you know, like many firefighters, my dad, uh, when I was growing up on the side, did contracting, Um, you know, houses, renovations, kitchens, baths, whatever it might be. And I was always there uh, as the trusty assistant, uh, I think eight years old, with my first Hilti, uh, probably 35-pound nail gun that was uh, cast cast, uh, metal. It was... uh, you know, my first introduction to, uh, to framing, to, uh, to house building, to renovations. Uh, so that naturally moved on to my father, uh, kind of getting out of the trade, uh, coming down to retirement, not being able to uh, get out there as much anymore. And the roles flipped where I was doing jobs and my dad was trying to assist me, although you know how that works with, uh, with family and construction. It doesn't always uh, gel that way, but it, it worked out great. Here, I'm going to do what a terrible interviewer should do, which is interrupt you. And I just want to say, if you're anything like my family, it was a fight. Uh, maybe a fist fight, but not at least a screaming match, correct? When, oh, absolutely. When you're, when you're working with family, you know what you're doing, but somebody else knows better what you're doing. So that's the way that it works absolutely. out uh, for most people. Now, as a uh, future building official, we're... Uh, permits were permits pulled when we were doing these uh decks in bathroom remodels so joe you asked me if there was anything you didn't want to talk about you didn't say that you didn't say about permitting in your early life permitting is something that's um well that's learned let me let me say that we'll leave it at that absolutely Uh, so you and your dad are screaming at each other he's helping you my air quotes uh for the people listening that's that's essentially uh you know how i started um and then moving on down the line as permits started to get pulled uh, and started calling for inspections, starting to meet up with the inspectors. Um, and then my brother-in-law um, at the time uh, was a plumbing inspector and kind of turned me on to the idea of being a building inspector. I like the technical, I like the nuts and bolts of, of, of uh, construction and what was going on. So I inquired. Uh, young young guy, I had been in the field, been in the carpenters union. I was gonna say you're you're fast forwarding over a uh, stretch. Yeah, uh, there's this, a lot uh, of good scaffolding stories. All right, we can go back to when I was born and, and move on from there. But um, so it was uh, dad, and then dad, your and first then professional job, not not helping dad on the side. What was that? First uh, professional job out of that was uh, local 33, uh, the carpenters union, where I attended the apprenticeship program 
um, and then subsequently jumped ship to go with my scaffolding um, because of the hours. 80 hours a week seemed like something I wanted to do at that time. Yes. Um, and I was getting paid for it, whereas not today. Uh, that's a whole other story. Yes, where a, lo- <laughs> a lot of us salaried folks, not me anymore that I'm on my own, but uh, salaried folks are well aware of the uh, unpaid 60, 70, 80 hours. Absolutely. But, so uh, 80 hours a week was appetizing at that point as a young guy that wanted to start a family and and uh, buy a house. So I jumped over to my scaffolding and jumped unions at that time and went to uh, Local 22 out of Malden. I didn't know that. Yeah, this is well, something you'll learn. Learn after. Yeah, yeah. This is more like a confession as I much just, as it is a podcast. I just, forgive me, Father, five cents. <laughs> yeah. No, I didn't know that. I just assumed I knew you were in the Carpenters local, and then I just assumed that's what you were scaffolding. See, yeah. I learned something new. Absolutely. So, uh, from there, um, true to form, and most of the things I do, I went back to the Carpenters Union, and at the same time started. Um, Went back to the Copper Unit, started my own business. Uh, South Boston was booming at the time. There was plenty of uh, opportunities for renovations and alterations. So had the Carpenters Union going, had a, a crew going, and decided it was time to possibly become a building inspector. Interviewed in uh, the town of Hull as a young 24-year-old uh, contractor, 25 years old at the time maybe, and was told I was too young. Uh, essentially laughed out of the office. That gentleman is still the building commissioner down in Hull at this time. Yeah, I believe it or not. So when I was a building inspector in Boston, I don't know if you noticed, if you had the same thing, but so if for folks listening, Mike and I started together at the building department in Boston, probably a couple months apart. And that was pretty much the response I always got when I walked out and would meet with some, you know, grizzly 60 something year old super. And, uh, you know, it, it was just this, you know, what do you know? You're kind of wet behind the ears. You know, in, in fairness, I looked probably younger uh, than I was. I was probably uh, probably around 30 at the time. But to them, uh, I looked young. So they laughed you out of Hull. Where'd you go? I actually didn't go anywhere. I was uh, somewhat uh, uh, taken aback by the fact that I just discovered I was too young to be a building inspector with someone else's help. Uh, in the following week, the commissioner at the time in Hingham called me. And said, I heard you in Hull. I, you know, what would you think about coming down and doing an interview? Uh, so, you know, as history has it, I started there. First project that was thrown in front of me was a uh, $100 million Blue Cross Blue Shield headquarters for somebody who came out of uh, doing renovations, kitchens and baths to review a sprinkler plan, which I thought was just to make grass green. It was, uh, <laughs> it was, it was significant. But uh, so then, you know, we rolled from there. I hang them to, uh, to Boston, and uh, that's where you and I met up shortly after I started, you started, and then Boston, and I've had a, quite, a, quite a role, quite a role. There's 350-something <laughs> cities and towns. Mike will be at all of them before he's done. Yeah, but... I'm, at, I'm at five now. I'm at yeah. five. Hang them uh, to Boston, Boston Zoning Enforcement Officer in um, Newton. Newton back to Boston. Uh, Boston to Brookline, we became yes. uh, the chief building inspector in Brookline, uh, to Walpole. I am yes. still to this day the only kid from Southie to do a year in Walpole, and I was actually working <laughs> there. Just so you, you got know. paid, paid year, paid right. year. I was, it was a paid year. Yeah. Uh, and then negotiated my position again in the town of Brookline and returned to the town of Brookline. So here I am, uh, the deputy building commissioner in the town of Brookline. Yeah. But to some degree... 
you had one foot in Brookline always, even when you were with Walpole? I did. I mean, you I kept did. that connection there. Right. I was Walpole still the... was just, was it just too small? Or... No, Walpole is a great town. I made some great friends there. I, 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 I loved it there. There were some great people that I, I worked with there uh, in Walpole. Uh, it was just a different gear. There's a different uh, pace. Mm-hmm. In Brookline, I say, you know, I was in Walpole for a year and not once did anybody threaten to have me fired, which is a change of pace in Brookline where that's almost on a daily basis, but that's what keeps me going. Um, so it was just a change of pace. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, the, the not that it's everything, but the, the pay was great in both locations, but mm-hmm. uh, being a little bit closer to the city and dealing with a little different level of construction mm-hmm. is where I'm most at home. So. Yeah. Is it safe to go there and say, you know, have this conversation? And you can you can say no, but what's it like um, dealing with a population that um, maybe, obviously, I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but um, there might, the fact that most of them probably have access to attorneys on a regular basis if they don't like decisions coming from the billing department, uh, I'm jumping. I'm jumping access, here in this interview. But access to attorneys. They are the attorneys. They are the attorneys that are the principals in the firms. Um, um, is it tough? Yeah, it's it's tough. It's very. It's the most demanding, including the city of Boston. Uh, so Brookline is a large town. It's the largest town, head to head with Plymouth right now. It's the largest town in Massachusetts at about sixty thousand. But the constituency is very involved and very demanding. Um, very educated, very, um, they pay a lot of taxes and they expect um, response. They want it now and they want it right away, which is, I get it, I understand. And and uh, it is tough. It's tough to work there. It's town meeting season right now. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of changes, a lot of appropriations. Um, and uh, these people have been at it for a while. What's it mean when you say appropriations? Because a lot of folks probably don't know what that means. So appropriations, uh, town budgets, uh, you know, additional staff, um, maybe equipment for DPW, it may be renovations and alterations to town buildings, to town parks, whatever it might be. All of those things aren't just taken for granted and you get that money. Each and every department needs to have a capital improvement plan, needs to present it. And our Brookline is a town, so there's a town meeting, which is... Um, it's a representative town meeting, which means you have elected uh, town meeting members. And of those town meeting members, there are boards, so advisory board. Um, there are subcommittees, capital improvement subcommittee. There's uh, planning and zoning subcommittee, which I frequently uh, sit in front of, um, and they have such an affection for me. Um, uh, so all of these committees get to decide what happens and what moves forward to town meeting, and then subsequently town meeting votes on these appropriations, these bylaw changes, uh, and then it becomes either law or, or, or zoning in Brookline or general bylaw, or the money is, um, is line-itemed and appropriated for each individual department. Now, does that mean that when they're talking about whoever it is, the commissioner from your department or if the parks department ever goes up and asks for a certain funding... Anybody within town meeting can hop up and say they disagree with that and chime in and, and that kind of how it shakes out? Correct. So it's it's vetted um, by the sub uh, subcommittees. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if it's, for instance, if it's a zoning article, uh, the zoning article goes to um, planning board and then subsequently it'll go to uh, zoning advisory subcommittee and everyone will make a recommendation. Then it will end up with the selectman. The selectman will make a recommendation. All of those recommendations go to town meeting, 
in a red on the floor at uh, a town meeting. Everyone gets to hear it. They get to hear testimony for and against. And then the 300 and some odd members get All right. Time. I think we get it. Nobody was. That's, no, that we're going to bore me. everybody to death and they can imagine the uh, eye gouging that goes on there or uh, inflicted on yourself. I think I'm we've sure. gone too deep into the town y- yeah, meeting process. I apologize to everybody listening. Um, let's just stay with Brookline, though. So. It's booming. I know, if, let's say you're coming from Boston, driving down Huntington Ave, you go under the bridge, right there on Route 9 by Brookline Village, all kinds of action going on. You know, what's happening there? I guess what else is hot in Brookline or areas are hot or just in general? Are you seeing more of, um, you know, that's obviously, I think it's pretty heavy medical, that area by Route 9. But what are you seeing just in generally on the development side? So Brookline... For those of you who have gone through or maybe have not gone through, Brookline has uh, always been known as kind of the, the Tony suburb, the Tony metropolitan area just outside of Boston. And uh, it, it, there are a lot of large houses. We have a, a lot of the sports figures here in town and sports ownership uh, live in Brookline, uh, from John Henry to Tom Brady to the Kraft family to Dustin Pedroia. Um, there are a lot. Uh, Jerome and Ginla, for those of you that are Bruins fans, is still there in Boston. Uh, in, in Brookline. So uh, it's been historically residential in nature, uh, the construction. What we've been seeing as of late um, is a, a, a push for commercial construction. Uh, that area you're speaking about when you come from uh, Mission Hill and you yep. go under the bridge on Huntington and you're in Brookline, um, that area itself is going to see and is seeing now some significant commercial construction, which we haven't seen in 25 years. So you have an 11-story hotel, the Claremont Companies out of Bridgewater has an 11-story hotel that's gone through zoning and is approved. Uh, and I believe that will be Callahan Construction that will be uh, uh, constructing that building there. They're just finishing up the permitting process now. On the opposite corner, you have Children's Hospital, uh, a campus expansion, which is uh, two and three Brookline Place, I believe the address is. And uh, they just finished a 700-some-odd uh, vehicle parking garage. There'll be a new high-rise building and a high-rise addition to one of the existing, I think it's five Brookline Place uh, building. So those are two corners, one uh, on one corner, one on the other corner. And those are fairly significant jobs for the town of Brookline. There hasn't been a high-rise built in Brookline, and I'd have to say since the Marriott on Beacon Street uh, 20 some odd years ago. Okay. Now I'll give you a second to take a sip of wine. So I'll talk for a minute. Give Thank me you. a break. So that section you're talking about for people that don't know, it's, um, is that state of the actual addresses in Longwood Ave that comes down into Brookline? Correct. The yeah. address for the hotel will be 700 Longwood, which yeah. is Longwood in Washington, Longwood in Route 9. Right. So the folks that are familiar with Longwood or not, Longwood's a major medical area within the city of Boston. Um, and that Longwood medical area seems to really be extending into Brookline. Um, and everything Mike is talking about is on the back of, what was it, maybe one or two years ago, they just finished that hotel, that other hotel that happened there. 111, um, one, that would be 111 uh, Boylston Street was the most recent hotel. Yeah. And now, any no residential, high-rise residential going into the mix in that area? Or is any residential in that area at all other than the hotel? Um, you have the Brook House, which is a, it's been, it's been there um, for nothing a long time, but nothing in that uh, vicinity. There is one, actually, I take it back. There is one building. That's going through its final zoning approval. The old uh, gas station, is it? Uh, the gas station is the hotel. Okay. A little bit further up, you have the uh, fire station, which is on the left. Mm-hmm. And you have Netta, which is the old Brookline Bank, which is our 
medical marijuana facility, which you wouldn't okay. know it was there if you uh, someone didn't point it out to you. On the opposite corner, which is the old Dunkin' Donuts on Route 9, for anybody who's gone um, up Route 9 in that direction, there is a 15-unit uh, residential building, which will kind of anchor uh, Brookline, the entrance to Brookline Village, the entrance to Brookline. So we'll have our medical marijuana facility on one corner. Again, what you can't tell is there. And then on the opposite corner, you'll have um, a 15-unit uh, residential building or commercial on the first floor. And that's Kenwood nice. Builders. That's uh, the developer there. Um, so that'll be a, a nice addition as far as residential. There are, there's a tremendous amount of residential uh, going into Brookline. We have um, over 500 units, which seems small when you, you, know, you think the city is just on the doorstep of where we are. But this is a town. This is a, a town. town. It's a so town. So think about a town in a, any other community getting 500 units of housing. It, That's it, substantial. It is substantial. It's substantial in the method that it was um, that it was accomplished, which is uh, state law 40B, master General law 40B. Um, I don't know if we want to delve too deep well, into the 40B. Just give folks the nickel version on 40B, um, you know, more or less the, you know, the, it's affordable, but then the piece of... If you meet the requirements, you don't have to comply. And if you so, maybe just a, you know, two minute. We won't bore people with housing code. I'll, I'll keep it without getting law. into the the weeds. weeds. Uh, I'll, I'll keep it short. So, 40B is uh, a mass general law. It's mass general law 40B. Zoning is 40A. 40B essentially says if you provide a percentage of your units uh, as affordable, you can skirt or go around the local zoning ordinance. So, Brookline has a very difficult in being in five towns. Uh, in dealing in, in consulting with people in other towns, um, it's one of the most difficult zoning bylaws in Massachusetts. Um, so the ability to go in and say, okay, we're going to have 10% of our units affordable allows you to then say, okay, we can build it bigger, we can build it higher, and with more units than that zoning district would allow. Okay, and can I can I add something just to reword what you said just for folks? I mean, I get it because I know what 40B is. Um, Another way to say it is that if you have the required any as a town or city, if you have the required percentage, which is ten percent, ten percent of the units in your entire town are affordable, this does not apply. Correct. If you do not meet that ten percent threshold, let's say you only have five percent of the units in your city or town are affordable, then a builder or developer that comes in and wants to build can take advantage of 40B and bypass to some degree. And you can explain to folks what bypass, you know, how much you can bypass the zoning code. So say, okay, hey, you don't meet the requirements. I'm going to show up. I'm going to build affordable. You can't use zoning against me, essentially. Correct. And there's a filing process. Um, you know, there's a site eligibility that has to be um, issued to the developer through. Um, mass development or subsidizing agency. It's, it's a bit more involved. Um, again, I don't want to get too deep into this. People have probably already got their pillow out and taken an yeah, afternoon yeah. nap. If right. they Maybe people too, listen to this when they're going to bed. <laughs> Absolutely. We've done them a service. What do they call it? ASMR, AMR, whatever it is, uh, helps you go to sleep. Yeah. But, um, uh, you know, the, what we're seeing is we have 500 units. We have um, mid-rise buildings. We have 90-unit buildings. We have 50-unit building, 20-unit building. Um, and they've all been approved. Usually a municipality gets one or two uh, in a five or six year span. Uh, we had seven active at the same time and we've 
just had three more filed for uh, last week. Wow. So it's busy on the residential side also, the multifamily residential side in Brookline. And most of them, uh, if we want to start getting into the construction and the... Uh, the um, you know the, the the type of construction uh, conversation. Most of these buildings are five over one, so the the timber the the uh, wood frame uh, type five over uh, type one construction. So kind of typically referred to as podium construction. Podium construction, you correct. know, yeah. uh, concrete, steel, first floor, one hour rating between them, and then light frame wood correct. on top of it. Which maybe we'll get to that uh, on the back end of this podcast. And, It'd be an interesting conversation. Yeah. Before I move on, oh, actually, no, let's just stay with it for a second. So um, we're on the heels within the past, you know, two or three weeks, depending on when this podcast goes out, probably six weeks ago. Um, you know, there's been a number of large loss fires. And here in Massachusetts, you had Dorchester, Weymouth, and Waltham, both large loss, major fires, kind of, you know, eyes pop wide open when you see kind of fires, right? Um, and there's been quite a few in these light frame structures across the country. This year has been, you know, pretty aggressive or the past 12 months have been pretty aggressive with fires. Um, but I think the difference is the two most recent ones was, I think it was uh, Yuma, Arizona and Denver. But the Denver fire, um, two construction workers died. Um, so, I mean, I, we've talked a lot about each other. We have um, a construction fire safety partnership here in Massachusetts that Mike and I are both part of. Um, and there's been a lot of interest in trying to build these things safer, uh, whether it's 241 plans, it's M-Fire, which is a spray-on fire treating that you can put on the wood, uh, systems like Tattletale, Pillar Tech, all kinds of technology and products that are helping to build safer. But I think things are really going to accelerate now that two people have died. Uh, we saw it here in Boston um, when tragically the two firefighters died in an unpermitted, you know, welding operation. Right. Um, and then it didn't take too long for uh, us to have a hot work certification that rolled out in Boston. And now in turn, as of July 1, that same certification applies across all of Massachusetts. So any Massachusetts listeners... Uh, if you're a contractor, any hot work happening on your projects, um, anybody doing that work or acting as a fire wash, watch or issuing the permit for it uh, needs to be certified. So check that out. Uh, if you go to massconstruction.org, I wrote up a little piece on it if you want to look at it. Um, but the long story short here is, you know, two, two construction workers died. And I think that's just going to accelerate folks looking at um, how to build wood safer. Um, Absolutely. And, and we can chat. We can chat wood a little later. Um, I'm going to dive into just some straight up entertainment. Tell me about uh, the Ben Affleck lady. And, and now I'm going to let Mike talk about the Ben Affleck lady. But uh, anybody that's been a building official, and I'm sure, you know, I'm not equating us to uh, police or anything like that, but same kind of thing where you're going into people's homes, um, different businesses. I mean, Everybody's got some stories. We've all seen some wild things, but uh, let's talk about the Ben Affleck lady, Mike. So this was a famous story out of uh, when I was with the city of Boston. Um, much of what we do is also enforcement, handling complaints. And this particular uh, complaint came in uh, for property. Uh, I used to have the North End waterfront area and one of the high-end condominium existing for many years, condominium complexes 
had a conflict between two uh, two unit owners. So we had a, a unit owner on the top floor and a unit owner below. Uh, the top floor unit owner decided that it was time to uh, renovate her bathroom uh, without the benefit of any permits. And when you get into condominiums, there's this common space. Do you have the right to use the common space? Do you not have the right to use the common space? So the top floor unit owner went ahead and installed her plumbing pipes uh, in the common space. But to do that, they actually had to access the unit owner's unit below when she wasn't there. Uh, the unit owner below uh, just so happened to be employed in California uh, most of the year and and uh, was not home. So the building management decided we'll let the contractor in there so the top floor unit can go ahead and hook up their uh, wastewater uh, and, and possibly vent pipes in the common space. Remove the sheetrock uh, from the sailing. And these are these old factory buildings, these old uh, warehouse buildings where you have the 18 by 18 uh, lumber for the uh, you know sailing and you have uh, finished sailing in between. So this is some uh, serious framing. So the common space in between uh, had a sailing and they took the sailing out, hooked up the pipes. So subsequently, um, because of somewhat faulty uh, craftsmanship in the shower above, the bathroom began to leak. Um, unit owner shows up. The sailing is not installed yet. Her unit sailing is missing um, and starts the complaints about construction without permits and need to get over here. Uh, so we inspected, looked, said, you know, we take care of it, talked to the owner above, uh, back and forth. Some lawyers were hired. Um, no violations were filed yet. Uh, other accusations were thrown out. Um, at one point, the unit owner who installed the bathroom went on vacation, and the woman below, uh, who's the Ben Affleck lady as we refer to her, decided to have her contractors come in. And uh, she decided to remove the common area plumbing pipes, water, waste, and vent were all cut and capped. All right, before we get there, are we going to find out why she's called the Ben Affleck lady? So this woman, every time there was a movie in the city of Boston, she'd rent her unit to uh, the movie people. And... Um, and every time she came in, she said, you need to get this squared away. There's mold and Ben Affleck's people are going to get sick. <laughs> so this is what we're dealing with. And this is pre-Airbnb, uh, right? This is pre-Airbnb. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is, uh, yeah. So the movie uh, crew would rent uh, her unit for a sizable amount of money and would stay there. Okay. So let me let me uh, paint this picture again. So woman in the lower unit who has had her common space breached and I don't know how the building manager allowed somebody else to go into that woman's condo and cut her ceiling open without permission. That's a whole another story. Uh, she decided uh, revenge would be to cut the ceiling open and cap all the plumbing. Well, interestingly enough, the ceiling hadn't been returned yet by the time oh, okay. she so came Okay, so still back. wide open. Still wide and open. And she sees the new plumbing there. She sees the new plumbing. And she calls a plumber in and says... Get rid of this. Out. This is not supposed to be here. I, I love it. So, and this is Ben Affleck lady. Says this is that. Ben Affleck lady. Says okay. take it out. So, a uh, woman upstairs, bathroom lady who installed the bathroom, comes back from vacation, tries to use her bathroom. There is no water. <laughs> there is no ability to flush the toilet or take a shower anymore because there is no more water installed in her bathroom. Phone calls back and forth. We're out there. Uh, we're back. The woman comes in. She's got mold now because of the leaking. She wants us to do something. She hires an industrial hygienist. She has a structural engineer. She has a building facade expert about leaking. And 
This went on uh, back and forth for almost a year before uh, this woman comes in and says, I want you to do something. I said, okay, I'll do it. It was just a process. A letter goes to Mr. Tom Menino's office. Some people may know him saying that the building department and in particular... God rest his soul. God rest his soul. <laughs> and in particular, the building inspector is uh, completely incompetent and is not doing his job. So that letter said you were incompetent and not doing your job. Correct. Just because I, I stepped over you talking a little bit. Okay. Yes. yes. So... Um, so what did you, Mr. Incompetent? So as we do in the do. city of Boston, uh, when there is a violation and it's not going anywhere, uh, we write violations. So I wrote a violation in the city of Boston when it's an unsafe and dangerous, so there's health and, and welfare involved, it goes directly to the criminal side of the court. And the unsafe and dangerous is there's no plumbing, there's potential mold potential issues, mold. all this is unsafe right. and dangerous. Yep. Unbeknownst to me, this particular woman um, possessed a medical license to practice medicine uh, in the uh, state of Massachusetts as well as in the state of California. Is California still a state? It, it yeah. is. Okay. We, this is a uh, apolitical <laughs> podcast, Mike, and right. uh, we're Thank not going to go there. Okay. Yep. Um, so I'm sitting at my desk one day and a um, gentleman sitting behind me that you know very well in an Irish voice hits <laughs> me with an elbow and says, Michael, Affleck lady's here. And I look up and she comes walking in and she has mascara all over her face and she's crying and she's, you can't believe you people did this to me. And I said, well, well what's the problem? And she said, you know, I, I practice medicine in Massachusetts and I practice medicine and you wrote a violation. You asked me to write the violation, I said. You asked me so you could rectify the situation because you were $500,000 in debt because of the consultants and attorney's fees you've been paying. She said, I know, but as soon as I had that uh, criminal complaint against me, they pulled my ability to practice medicine in the state of Massachusetts and the state of California. <laughs> I said, well, Oops. I don't know. I, I acted. You know, you told Menino I wasn't acting, and I acted, and, you know, unfortunately, here we are. So long story short, after about a three-year battle, which culminated in three and a half hours for me on the stand uh, testifying uh, um, at this case, uh, Woman was about five hundred thousand dollars into uh, the process, and the five hundred thousand. Five hundred thousand, and the only reason why I know this is I knew the attorney uh, who was representing her when it got to court. Um, we have some mutual friends, and he was kind of giving me the inside uh, story of what was going on. Ran into that same gentleman shortly after the case uh, was decided, and he said, "Michael, you won't believe it. She won." I said, "You have got to be kidding me. She won after." Everything that went on, she claimed, you know, that, that she was suing for a substantial amount of money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she was claiming that health and loss of rent. Meanwhile, Ben Affleck's people still rented during this period. Um, she was suing, you know, I don't know, in the six digits somewhere, which wouldn't have even uh, carried her legal fees. He said, yeah, Michael, she won. I said, you have got to be kidding me. What was the financial payout? $1,200. I said it was what? $1,200 to replace the sheetrock between the beams and the sailing. And that was it. It was closed out, never to hear from her again. So I think she's still practicing medicine in the state of California. But wow. That's what we deal with, unfortunately. Uh, those ones don't come up on a daily basis, but those are ones you definitely remember. That's insane. Uh, unfortunately, there are too many stories that I wish I could tell on a podcast, and I can't. No. Uh, right. <laughs> we'll, leave it. we'll leave it at that. Um, if you don't mind, let's talk some code. Well, well uh, if, if people weren't asleep on uh, 40B, uh, they can now get asleep. But oddly enough, there's some 
uh, as a mutual friend of ours refers to them, there's some code weirdos out there that actually <laughs> find code interesting. No, and I think that's partially why we're here. Um, okay. You know, even as a building official, you hear it from somebody. You may hear scuttlebutt. You may hear it um, in some blogs, or you may see it uh, in some of the associations. I hear it in in, in some meetings. The home builders. Uh, association or a remodelers association but to hear it even me hearing the same stuff that I know from somebody uh, other than me or somebody other than I work with is is helpful uh, just to hear a different uh, perspective on it sometimes yeah. well let me do this uh, give you a chance to have a sip and uh, and catch your breath uh, so I'll tell you one. In it's about to turn. Sorry, it's about to turn into the uh, second bottle blog. Yes, that's uh, so. second bottle show. I think is what we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll call this. Uh, and the good stuff. See, we're like, hey, it's appropriate. This is Good Friday, and like uh, the wedding at Cana, we have the best wine save for last. So if we knock these two bottles, I've got it from this is great little wine shop in Rosendale Square. I wish I could remember it. Right next to uh, the cheese shop, Birch, the Birch Street Bistro. Birch Street Bistro and the cheese shop, which is even better than the wine shop. Um, a buddy of mine just brought us over a nice wine to thank us for doing some favors for him. So that's on a docket. So maybe that's up next. Um, but yeah, this has been in the ninth edition just came out in January, uh, as well as a new edition of the Fire Code. In the ninth edition of the Building Code, they have. Um, the requirement for third-party fire stop inspector. That's a big one. Um, if you want, I can chat a little bit about it, or if you want to chat I'll about just, it. That's... I'll just give, you know, from a, a, a code inspector's perspective. Um... And think about think about it from the, tell us the code inspector's perspective, but also think about it, and maybe if you want, I can or you can. Um, what about somebody, they're a PM, they're a super, you know, how is that going to affect the way they, they do their job or do business or an estimator for that matter? Yeah, and I'll let you uh, get into... Um, I can handle that side. You want to say the code official? I just say from a code yeah. official, it's just another layer uh, really of construction control. Uh, so it comes under Chapter 17, which is testing and inspection, special, uh, special inspections. Um, in, in, you know, a lot of people kind of panicked when this first came out because it wasn't entirely explained and it's based on a specific type of building. Uh, but it is, it's significant. It's, um, you know, the, the, the need to go ahead and have a third party just as you have your welds, just as you have your concrete, uh, concrete uh, inspected by third parties. Fireproofing. Yeah, this, this is good stuff for folks to know. So chapter 17, for people that don't know, are special inspections. And that's where if you've ever had to do concrete breaks, slumps, test on weld, if you're doing fireproofing on steel, you need to do pull tests. Uh, mortar, uh, what else am I missing? Um, smoke control. Mm -hmm. Any of these things all live in Chapter 17 of the Mass State Building Code. Um, and they are all requirements of basically another layer of um, witnessing, inspections, monitoring that you're required uh, under the code. Correct. Right. Um, yeah, so it, it's just another level of something that we look for. Um, the significance is in the uh, method and requirement, which I think um, a, a lot of people are going to have trouble with. Is mm -hmm. um, um, so it's it's ten percent witnessed or two percent uh, destructive. destructive. Yep. So that's of any. And here, here's the real part that I think people don't understand. Uh, so ten percent um, witnessed is um, you have to actually see it 
being installed. And this is by the third party, not by the building official. Mm-hmm. 10% witness is, is you know, seeing it actually installed. And it's of each type. And it, here's where here's that's, where this gets crazy. That's the money line in the code. Yep. Of each type. So let let's let's uh, let's think about type of um, uh, fire stop or penetration for that matter. So you have a pipe going through a wall. That's a penetration. Um, single pipe. That's a type of penetration. Single three inch pipe is a type of penetration. Single four inch pipe. Um, that's PVC is a different type of penetration. Yeah. Ductwork. Ductwork is electrical another penetration. conduit. Electrical conduit. Uh, single wire. Cat five uh, penetration. Yeah. Multiple penetrants through the same hole. Uh, Ductwork. Right. And then the other piece, uh, and here I am stepping on you, is uh, not to forget is wall is different than floor. That's Correct. another type. So right. yeah, there's there could be a plethora. There's a ten cent word for you of um, different penetrations or joint types. Slab yeah. edge on curtain joints, wall, curtain wall, yeah. top of wall. All these things are different types, right? right? So just for you know, so somebody can put this in perspective. That um, is not. Uh, you know about the casino. Everyone knows about the casino that's being built. And, and you think about the size, um, how many stories at the casino. Um, it's the, the tower, 15, I don't know, but it's up. Yeah, it's story, something like that. But you think of a building like that um, in every penetration uh, that needs to be or 10 percent of the penetrations need to be viewed or 2 percent um, uh, destructively tested. Mm-hmm. That's a lot. That, that is a tremendous amount. I'll use myriad uh, since you yeah, use oh, plethora. fancy words yeah, tonight. We can throw them all. Keep out. drinking. We'll get some really good words. <laughs> yeah. We're going from the five cent to the ten cent. We'll end up with twenty five cent words by the time we're done. But uh, it, it it is significant in the construction world, um, just because of the time you need to take. And and from our perspective, and I've I've been able to see it on both sides as code officials. Um, there are two ways to do it. In Massachusetts, Boston in particular, uh, usually fire stop is done. Um, it's trade specific. So mm-hmm. local 33 will do their uh, fire stop. Yeah. Local 22 or 223, for that matter, will do their fire stop. 103 will do their fire stop. Yeah. Uh, local 12 will do their fire stop. Yeah. Uh, and it starts to get a bit confusing as to what method you're using, who's doing it, and how you're supposed to do it. I was lucky enough to have a project in Boston, um, the um, uh, the rehab, Spalding Rehab, over in Charlestown was actually a third-party installer and then a third-party inspector. Mm-hmm. And this is prior to when it was uh, required. And that actually went uh, fantastic. Every penetration is labeled. It's logged. Um, and tested Uh, if it fails it's put into the log and you go back and you rectify it so let's help some people so um, for the folks that are doing healthcare they're going to be pretty well aware of this Um, JCO or actually now they've changed it they just call it Joint Commission Mm -hmm. is a federal body that uh, if I'm incorrect here somebody uh, sent us a message on Instagram or LinkedIn or email Um, but is a federal body that regulates all the hospitals and they have certain standards around fire stopping. So folks that are doing healthcare already are going to have some semblance of this, but this is, this is even above and beyond what JCO expects out of hospitals. So even the folks in the hospital world said, Oh, we have this lockdown. We have Gleason powers or Sweeney drywall and they come out. We sole, you know, sole source it with one person. Um, 
this is even more stringent. Uh, so yeah, so the hospital folks they've been doing it, but it's gonna be it's gonna be above and beyond. What I'm kind of curious from you is though, um, there's language in there that says the report needs to go to what the AA. And now forgive me, I read this a while ago, which is I think they call it. Um, it's basically the owner's appointed authority, so a, a th you know authoritative agency or something like that. Basically, it could be the architect or whoever the owner decides to put in charge that you need to submit the documents to them. But then there's a lot of language about AHJ and how they can accept who's um, qualified. Do you have any sense? It's early yet, but do you have any sense on what you would want to see from contractors? Would um, you want to see just a report sent in? Would you want to see it when they go for an occupancy? Uh, or would it be, hey, if you have concerns, you're going to go out and say, okay, I'm a little concerned. Let me see the fire stopping report on this. How, how, how do you guys look at it? So right now it's, it? it's um, you know, it, it's based on construction control. It's, there is a section in um, Chapter 1, Mass State Building Code, um, that really says that regardless of the fact that it's subject, the projects are subject to the control of uh, an engineer of record, uh, that the building official, that doesn't release him from his. So we're out there, we're looking at it, we're seeing what's going on. Um, but it still is construction control. So this is just going to be right now when you have a project, you get your, um, your mechanical, your electrical, you get your uh, structural. And we're probably going to be looking for this report uh, as an individual report to say, you know, we've inspected the uh, fire stop and uh, it's satisfactory and give us the method in which they did it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, it's new for everybody, uh, but it will really be part of the construction control. Okay. Uh, if there are any issues, um, or we feel that there's an issue, or we observe an issue, we'll obviously delve deeper into it. But it's it for the larger projects, it, we're going to primarily rely on the construction control affidavit to say that we've done this. Uh, this is the method we've used, and it's sufficient, and it meets the intent of the building code. There are some agencies, not to cut you off, out there that are, you know, that are doing this now and do a, a fairly good job on it. Um, they've been. Uh, ahead of the game, taking a look at this, and, and you know, one of the companies that we both know that's out at the casino now has a has a, a, a great uh, grip on on what's going on and what's required. It's not easy. It's not easy just to do no. destructive testing because of the requirements. Those of you that own a home are, are contractors that have done work. You talk about the red stuff. You got to put the red stuff in mm -hmm. the hole. You gotta, oh, but yeah. that's it's it's a system. The red stuff alone doesn't exist. Um, as um, proper term rated assembly rated assembly right. yep. uh, in a single family home there are no rated assemblies so uh, it's not even required but we can get into that at another a time the story right right but there is a proper way to actually install the red stuff in the thermal fiber or the backing or whatever it might be um, so it's not easy to comply with uh, the requirements that the uh, UL which is the uh, underwriters laboratory Testing they write agency. the they write the book essentially on how these things are supposed to be installed, uh, and it's not easy to comply with those uh, requirements. So it takes a little bit of time, and it's going to take uh, time for the trades to learn how to install these things correctly. Absolutely. Now, if I heard you correctly, um, this third-party inspection and the document that they're going to hand in, that doesn't remove your right or desire to inspect all the fire stopping right no if you go out and you see an issue then it's going to be corrected so it's not like this is taking this away from the building official this is on top of the building official correct, correct. yeah yeah so i mean 
the the issue is, um, again, in Chapter 1 of the um, State Building Code, it expressly says construction control does not... um, you know, does not take away the building official's ability to go ahead and inspect. Um, so we're still out there. Inevitably, look, the building department, the building official, my signature is going on an occupancy, whether it's a hotel, whether it's a single family, whether it's a 10-unit building, my signature is going to be on that occupancy. I want to know what's going on. And not to, look, engineers, and I, I, I make some snive remarks sometimes when they're out in the field and there's a debate going back and forth. I usually say, look, you have more initials after your name than I will ever have, but mm-hmm. here is my perspective, and let's talk about it. Uh, so we trust the engineers, and we rely on third parties to give us, uh, uh, you know, their take and, and their inspection and their sign off or their blessing on things. But inevitably, we want to be out there. We want to know what's going on. We want to take a look at at, uh, at you know the quality of work that's being done because we are the ones that sign it not the engineer not the contractor mm-hmm. we're going to be signing the occupancy and that will run with us for the rest Perfect. of our lives yep absolutely. i just did not to get off topic too much but i just did a deposition uh for a project i inspected seven years ago uh, in the city of boston that uh, i had put a signature on a card and it came back around and there was an insurance claim and lo and behold my name's on the card and uh, and that's what ends up happening. So, yeah, Mike, we ch- we never really got to get into it, but and I'm sorry, I'm making you have to uh, work on this really hard. But tell me about the new code change that affects um, egress windows. We were chatting; you were saying a little bit about how that's going to affect a lot. We talked a little bit about wood frame already, right? Um, and how it's going to affect that world. Yeah, this. So this requirement may seem. Minuscule compared to some of the other technical requirements that uh, that came through. Um, you know, there's um, there's changes to uh, how daycare uh, are, are affected. There's changes to how uh, accessory uses are, um, are treated in the building code and fire separation and and and, uh, and whatnot. But one significant, aside from, in my opinion, aside from the fire stop um, and it's not necessarily egress windows it's it's every window in a residential dwelling um, there is a new requirement to try and stop children from falling out windows not that here I go with my rain man um, just from remembering from doing the research as this was coming up um, in the United States 3300 kids fall out windows every year 3300 mm. um, Eight kids die every year from window falls. So what happens? Code's reactive. And uh, in 2012, the rest of the country, in the 2012 code, we're on the 2015. In 2012, the ICC adopted um, the window fall or the um, the uh, window um, restraint. There's a limit limiter. There's a window stop. Is that the when you go into an apartment or a home and you see like they're usually white and they're like three bars on them and you can kind of open them? Is that is that what you're talking about? No. Okay. So uh, I'll explain what uh, and this is where it's going to affect the manufacturers. It's going to affect the the contractor because that um, that won't meet uh, the requirements of of the new code. So what it basically says is, uh, and I'll give you the one and two family dwelling first. 
and one and two family dwellings if your windowsill uh, on the exterior is more than 72 inches, so six feet. Wow. So if that's maybe first floor, you get away with it. Uh, anything above that, so that we're talking about one and two family now. If the windowsill on the exterior is more than 72 inches or six feet, and on the interior is less than 24 inches, right? So now on the interior, so 24 inches from the floor, less than 24 inches, uh, then you need to have a device that restricts the window opening to four inches. Okay, now let me let me delve into the weeds here because it's, and, and if people fall asleep, I understand, but contractors are going to want to pay attention because this is significant when you're ordering millwork, when you're ordering, uh, you know, your windows and, and you want to comply for occupancy. So one and two family dwelling. What that means is the window can only open four inches and I need to have a device. Now, I used to order all my windows from Harvey's, right? Mm -hmm. And it would come with those little plastic pull out tabs. Yeah, yeah. That's what I have in my windows right now. They don't comply. They will not comply. Why don't they comply? So what happens is um, you need to be able to operate windows in order for ingress or egress. So for firefighters to come in or for people to get out in the case of a fire. Uh, so what it says is they need to be operable. So let's take a bedroom, for instance. So every window needs to have one of these devices on it. Right? And it's ASTM 2090, F2090 is the ASTM that, uh, that specifies the device. you got to get out more, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So what it says is um, in a bedroom, right, every bedroom needs what's called an emergency escape window. And yep. the emergency escape window needs to be able to open 20 by 24 in either direction, 3.3 square feet. Remember it well. So if I have a four-inch opening, that doesn't work. I can't get out. If there's a limiter on the window, mm -hmm. I can't get out because I just told you that you need to have a limiter. But what it is, those little white things on the windows don't work that you get with the windows because what happens is the new ones, when you're in an emergency escape situation, you need to be able to push those in, operate the window. Right? If you mm -hmm. want to vent the window, uh, let's say you, you know, you're a bad cook and, and you need to vent the bedroom out because there's smoke in the bedroom. When you push that window shut again, those locks need to manually Autom automatically. I'm sorry, automatically automatically go back into place. Oh my God. Do they even make that? They do. And most of the window manufacturers know about it. Um, there are a lot of retrofits that are available. We just had a gentleman come in the other day, purchased all his windows, and had a retrofit. Each lock, and you need two per window, with $13 a piece. Um, so that's to retrofit them to retrofit just to buy the product, just to buy the product, not install it. But if you're ordering from um, Pella or you're ordering from Harvey's or wherever it might be, Anderson, uh, they they are well aware. And if you tell them you need the um, the window locks, uh, the four inch window locks, they'll they'll know. Um, so this is significant. Now, this is also applicable to R2 of multifamily three units above. It's the same same premise. Mm -hmm. uh, anything over six feet. The only thing that changes is on the interior of the dwelling, uh, you get to go up to 36 inches on the window hill site, on the, on the windowsill height. So on, on residential? Where, residential. So this is only for residential so dwellings. one and two family. One and two family. You can go up to 36. Sill height needs to be 24 inches. If it's below, you need to have the protection, the four inch stops. Mm -hmm. In a multifamily it's 36 inches, and anything below 36 inches needs to have the four-inch stop. And once again, you need to have the ability to open those windows fully to the 20 by 24, or in a multifamily, 
it's five square feet on the first floor, 5.7 on floors above. So it's more stringent on the multifamily. Correct. It goes up to 36 inches. Wow. So that's significant um, for contractors, not just, you know, we're talking about um, podium frame buildings. There's a lot of major contractors in the city of Boston and the vicinity that are constructing these multifamily buildings. And every window in these buildings is going to need to have these stops on them. And that's issued under the ninth edition. Issued under the ninth edition. It was actually in the 2012 uh, code, which we didn't adopt in the state of Massachusetts. And we had an accident in Brookline where mm. a, a, a child fell out a window. Yeah. And we didn't adopt the 2012. They were replacement windows, which brings me to my next yep. next statement, which is hard now for save people to Save me a question. So, I, you know, I, I, I present these um, code changes through conferences and seminars for CSL holders and one of the hardest things to understand is uh, an emergency escape window, when you replace the window, does not have to comply. So if it doesn't comply today, you replace the window. Uh, let's say it's only 15 inches wide or 15 inches high and, and 20 inches wide. That window, when you replace it, doesn't have to comply. The four-inch opening uh, through the existing buildings code, if you replace a window, that window now has to comply with the current code for construction. So think about how many replacement mm. window jobs take place uh, on a daily basis uh, in the state, in the country. Each window needs to comply with this current code, needs to have those stops or needs to be retrofitted um, to comply with that section of the code. Now, forgive me because I got up. We're doing this uh, Instagram live, so I've been bouncing back and forth because somebody called and I thought I turned <laughs> off the notifications, but apparently it... Uh, it bypassed that. Here, you can pour yourself a glass well, of that I one. I, it. I finished off that other bottle. We went into this thinking Mike was going to be the one drinking more, and it, <laughs> it appears that I have drunk more than Mike. How's that for good English? Um, so maybe I missed it, but what are we talking all-in costs if you're swapping out? I mean, I know uh, this is nothing to, to hold you to, but it's 13 bucks for the mechanism, but... I, I, I can't even... It's... It depends on the, the project. It depends on how many windows you have. Um, you know, replacement windows. You can go in a house, uh, you know, an average replacement window job. And when I was doing renovations and alterations, you may have, uh, you know, 20, 25 windows, 30 windows in a home that are being replaced. So if it's a retrofit, go ahead and take, uh, you know, that times uh, $26 a window. And that's what you're adding for markup. Mm-hmm. Most of the supply houses, again, are aware. So you should be able to buy the windows with the compliant locks in them. Yeah. But also remember, this is where folks don't really understand the code. And they don't know if a lot of people don't know. Forgive me for the folks that do. They don't know whether they got the permit under the 8th edition or the ninth edition. So they don't know whether they need to comply. Right. Basically, for the folks that are listening, if you have a current project going on, you need to know and you're saying to yourself, oh, shit, I've got all the wrong windows. Did you get the permit prior to January 1st, 2018? Mm -hmm. If you did, you're fine. Right. Right. Post that. You got your permit after that. Then you need to comply. Or, or. Or. There is an or. Please. So the state, um, the state did say, okay, we understand um, there are some significant changes, and if you do want to comply, because face it, look, people go to architects, they can't make up their mind, or there's some complicated issues, and you start drafting plans six months before your project. Uh, and you 
you put a lot of money into plans. Architects, architects are not cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, the economy's flying, and you know, supply and demand. Architects uh, act accordingly. So, um, the state recognizes that um, you know, look, people spent money on an architect. They had the plan underway. The state says if you want to comply with the eighth edition still, because your project was in the design stage. They can go to the state board uh, and get a, a variance or get them to say, okay, we understand. Go ahead. Uh, you can apply with the 8th edition. However, being life safety, uh, something like a window or a replacement window, if it were structure, room size, I get it. But life safety, um, not saying not it wouldn't happen, it. but they, they're less likely to approve a variance or approve uh, uh, a change to the law. Uh, to allow you to move forward without complying with the current code. So. And another solution on the retrofit is if you were to build up the sill, right? Maybe if you're close, yeah, you get up and make sure you still have the egress right. opening size that you need. Right. So there, but, there is a, um, and I've yet to see them, and I'm still looking. There is, a, you know, permanent permanent guards that could be installed, mm-hmm. but that doesn't work in a bedroom because you, you need, need, need you still need the opening. Yep. So there is the ability to build up the sill, but the average sill height is usually about 18, 18 inches in a home. Hmm. Um, now let me take it further to further complicate. So you're talking about a bedroom with these windows, and this is why this becomes significant. So you have a window, you want to put the sill height at 18 inches because that's, you know, aesthetically a lot of homes, that's what they do. So let's say you're at 17 inches. If you're below 18 inches, you need tempered glass. Now you're below 24 inches, so you need this locking mechanism. But you're in a bedroom, so it needs to be emergency escape. So these are the things that you're up against as a code official as well as a contractor to now have to think about uh, prior to installing windows. It used to be, hey, you go to Home Depot, slap a couple windows in the back of the truck, you walk into the house and you you put the window in uh, in the bedroom, you put the window in the house and you walk out of there, tail light warranty, see you later, I'm gone. It doesn't work that way anymore because there's much more um, that you have to comply with. So, okay. All right, Mike, it's been fantastic. Give the Instagram folks a wave. There you go. There was a look like we had a boatload of folks on there, which was great. Um, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming in. Hey, everyone. Can't thank you enough for listening to the show. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Hope you loved what you heard. Um, if you did, if you wouldn't mind heading over to SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever it is that you listen, and give us a rating. It would help us to get heard, which would be huge. Keep this thing going. Um, if you want to get more involved, head over to massconstruction.org. You can see what we do there. You can also connect with us on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Facebook, all from that page, whatever your medium is that you prefer. Uh, and last thing I got to say is thank you, thank you, thank you. Whoa, whoa. Keep your hands away.